Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello, welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter, and I'm here today with Julia Clark, who is uh, the subject of our cover story this week. I decided the world was maybe ready for me now. Julia Clark talks about her post-transition return to music. Welcome. Hi. Hi. about your music and, and uh, some other stuff. Uh, Jennifer Levesque wrote this article mm-hmm. and she was originally kind of pitching this as a, as a just a music column review of your of your latest album, Errorist, which, when did that come out? Um, it, uh, it came out in September. Okay, yeah. September. But you have a really interesting life story and musical story. And I'd love to talk to you about, about that and, and how you were doing music earlier in life transitioned and took a break yeah and now here you are returning so maybe maybe you could talk about just to start with how you became interested in music in the first place um my dad used to listen to a lot of like classic rock on the radio you know like rock 102 and um other like drc which was like even older Mm -hmm. um and i was drawn to like those 60s kind of garage rock and when I heard the song Wild Thing, and, Wild. I, and I, I just, I begged and begged for a guitar. Like, like, get me this now. And I did for like six months, and I cried uh, until uh, one day they got me like a toy guitar first. And I mm-hmm. was like, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, then they finally got me a, a real guitar, an electric guitar. How old were you? Um, I was nine years old. Yeah, it was uh, Christmas, or maybe I was eight. It was Christmas in 1990, so I guess I would have been eight. And my understanding is that you got guitar lessons, yeah. didn't really uh, didn't really enjoy them. No, I, I didn't like them at all. Um, I, was, I was young. I guess I probably was nine. Um, I remember the first thing when I went into this little room with this guy, this like rock dude, and he was like, I'm gonna teach you how to play like these scales. And he went on this whole lesson of like how I had to keep my guitar in the case and stuff like that. And I was just like, I didn't wanna deal with that at all. I really, I truly just wanted to rock out, you know, like I was, I was ready, but it was hard. Yeah. When you're nine years old, you might have that want, but it's, it's sort of, unless you're like a genius kid. I started to write songs probably around like when I was 13 is when I kind of gained enough skill to kind of start writing songs and uh, started formatting everything and writing everything out in tablature, it's called, um, doing verse, chorus, verse, all that. I kind of studied songwriting um, specifically from this um book that I had gotten that was how to play uh, all the songs from Nirvana's In Utero. Mm-hmm. So I, st- I studied that like completely. I learned how to play like every pick scrape, every feedback thing and like I could perform it and have it be like identical to the recording. And your your sound, it really is that 
you know, rocky, grungy, Nirvana yeah, kind of inspired sound. And it really, it's, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the songs um, on the, the latest album, Errorist, it gets in that, in that mood. Maybe you could talk yeah. a little bit about the, the influence of Nirvana, clearly, yeah. but, um, but kind of, you know, and Wild Thing. But what, maybe what are some of your other influences? <clears throat> um, Sonic Youth, a lot of times, a lot of the songs I actually use um, alternate tunings. I don't even know which songs I couldn't tell you which ones I use alternate tunings on. Um, it's it's easier to play that way sometimes. I find mm-hmm. it's more fun to play that way because I don't have to think about it as much. Um, I also find that I can kind of do the lead and the rhythm at the same time. Sometimes as I'm strumming it, I can have like a chord in the back going, and I can do stuff on like the higher type strings that sort of style where I do the stuff on the higher type strings that was um that came from like Sebado. And we'll talk more about uh the songs on on there um in a second, but I want to I want to talk about in 2007 you you told Jen that you had uh kind of a decision to make whether you wanted to continue playing music as you had or whether you wanted to be true to your own identity. Yeah. Um, and maybe you could talk about kind of what got you through through that decision? Well, I didn't think anybody at, at the time. I don't think anybody would take me seriously if I went out and I was trans transitioned. Um, it was so different at the time. People didn't really know. People knew you as Chris Clark. Yeah, they did, and I and I transitioned online, and and people know knew me transitioned online and stuff like that for a while before I did like a a physical transition. But I was on HRT for about a year. Hormone replacement yeah, therapy. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was hard for me to balance the two identities between wanting to sort of do the rock and roll thing and also I had to rediscover myself. Um, and talk about that a little bit. You you left here for a while. You, yeah. um, you uh, grew up in Western Mass, but you um, you left and, and uh, maybe talk about kind of some of those um, journeys that you took. Yeah, yeah. Um, Basically, I was I was older, and I was living in my dad's basement, and um, I was transitioning. They didn't really understand what I was going through. Your parents, it was, yeah, I was like, cut your hair and get a job kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I, you know, I was older. I was like twenty seven, but it was like I said, the the climate was just so different. So I was a lot scarier. Yeah. Um, and some people I knew online like offered me a place to go. And I went there, and that fell through. Um, and I ended up, I flew on a plane to Texas. And then the people I was living with in Texas shortly after, like a month after, uh, brought me to a homeless shelter in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And then um, from there, I was able to score a bus ride down to Tampa. Tampa, Florida. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather was there, but he didn't want anything to do with me. And basically, I was left there to uh, starve, basically. Mm -hmm. I was completely and totally 100% abandoned by everybody I knew. I lost everything. You know, I threw all my luggage over the fence, like some unknown industrial area. I had to ditch everything, Mm. ditch my clothes. I had to wear other people's shoes and and i understand you sort of yeah. went through a period of of uh of physical detransition at that time yeah that, i had right? i had no choice when i went on the streets i was afraid for my safety so i immediately just you know 
I knew I wasn't going to be able to shave either, you know, so if I can't shave, it was going to be dangerous for me, bottom line. Mm -hmm. So I had to detransition. I had no way to get medication either at the time, no doctor in Florida. So, How long did that period of time last? It was almost a year. It was about nine, eight or nine months. I mean, how did you get yourself through that time period? It sounds like a very difficult time. Um, you meet other other people who are in your situation. And um, at the time when I was in Tampa, there was a huge homeless community. And I kind of uh, found my group and we supported each other. Well, mostly they supported me because hmm. um, I, was, I was helpless, you know. Um, so I'm forever grateful to the to the community there and the people that I met. Talk about how things started to turn around for you. You know, someone gave you a little bit of money to come back here and, and, yeah. um, and you got a little help as well. I basically spent a long time telling people I wanted to come back to Western Mass. And my family was like, don't come back. And if you do, we're not helping you. So don't even bother. Um, but I still wanted to come back. I just had an urge to come back home, you know. And uh, a friend of mine from high school, at this point, I had been graduated for a long time. Um, she was on like MySpace or something, and, and she sent me like a hundred bucks. And I took a Greyhound home, and I was still homeless here. My sister picked me up, and my parents handed me, I think, $200, and they said I was on my own. You went through a difficult time for your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you tried to take your own life at one point and sort of checked into um, a place to help as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It actually happened a couple of times. Um, the the last one, the one before I met Val, was my fifth uh, suicide attempt. Hmm. I had two of them in, in Florida and then a couple of them here. But it's now been over 10 years since any of that's happened. But yeah, that's that's what happened. I was homeless and I was miserable and I was lonely. So I checked into a hotel and, you know, I had some pills and some booze and I was on my deathbed and Mm. I decided I didn't want to die. And I called 911 and I was barely conscious, you know, and they came and they picked me up and checked me into the hospital and pumped my stomach and I had charcoal kind of coming out of my nose and stuff. And and, uh, that's how I met Val, she was in the hospital. Yeah, talk about that. Val's your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's actually right next to me. I know Hello. The people yeah. that are listening can't. People that are listening can't see. But um, uh, yes, in in the hospital after that suicide attempt, uh, she was there, and I met her, and we bonded. And after I checked out, we stayed in contact, and she checked out. We stayed in contact, and. It just kind of blossomed from there, and we we basically we eloped. After a couple of months, we decided that um, we were ready. We knew that that's what we wanted, and tomorrow's our ten year anniversary. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Yeah, we got married in Northampton. Yeah. Um, and so you, you're married. You have a son. Mm-hmm. Um, your family and Valerie's one of the tracks on your your uh, album, Errorist. Yeah. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, 
you know, how you made the decision to return to music, what that was like, and, and how you, you know, did you feel rusty? Like, was it hard oh, to, to pick completely things up? Ru- I was yeah. completely rusty. Um, in the beginning, it was just mostly a curiosity, like, thinking about, like, the days of yore, you know. Um, and it was helpful that, all, like, all this trans people were coming out more trans people were coming out, you know, like Caitlyn Jenner and stuff. Say what people can say what they want about Caitlyn Jenner, but that was still incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of made me feel that like maybe it was okay. And that was yeah, I was maybe the world was ready for me, and I don't have to hide anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was totally totally rusty the entire time I was making the album. I was very rusty. Um, some of the guitar parts were done like almost a full year later before I released it so you can't hear the rustiness but some of it I was like concentrating like you mm-hmm. wouldn't believe just to because um, I had lost that sort of second nature what what you know you kind of kind of describing things as you were just curious about whether yeah. you were still but you know it takes a lot of work to kind of build some of that skill back up what what kind of inspired you to um, to go with that and, and to get to the point where you're now you've released an, another album Gosh, I was doing, I was recording cover songs to do, to, to practice and, and stuff. And that's, it was sort of a different way of approaching things because I'm used to doing my own songs. So I looked at that as kind of teaching myself, like producing. And I, I kind of went through like all the steps I would need to make an album. Like what, what the producing was like, what, you know, how can I work with the equipment that I have? And as cheap as possible, hopefully free. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole whole thing was done pretty much free, and that's one of the things about it that is anybody anybody can do that with a little bit of knowledge. Watch a little bit of videos. Yeah, you you did a lot of this in your living room, right? The whole thing was done in oh, my living room. Whole, yeah, yeah, right into my computer. Yeah. So it is Errorist. Mm. Is the name of the album. And you had kind of an idea about what, you know, what an errorist is. Can you talk about, you know, what what yeah. that means to you? Go ahead. Um, errorist is really just somebody who makes a lot of mistakes. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of like feeling like, oh, I'm a dope. You know, I'm such an errorist. And, mm. and I think we all make mistakes in life and we can work through them and... I don't know. I it's an interesting word, and I, I wanted people to to think a little bit. I know from my own experience of listening, you know, uh, coincidences. The first track, you know, you just you just get right into the album, yeah. and it just feels like you're like there, and you're like listening to something, and it's like wow. Um, can you talk about kind of like just recording, especially that first track, and kind of you know putting that putting coincidences first, and and uh, and kind of what your what your basic thought process is behind when you make a song um well that song i wanted to i wanted to do a song that has a specific kind of guitar sound
had just gotten a, the Mustang and uh, I was practicing techniques and I wanted to do this song that had this kind of lighter, more like riffy kind of uh, sound to it. And I pulled the song out of my archives and I thought it was perfect. The pickups on the Mustang are really unique and it has a real unique sound to it, which it doesn't really work in a lot of applications, but on that particular song it worked. So I kind of go through like what I want it to feel like. I want it to feel like this. I want it to be a little dirty. I want it to be a little bit riffy. Uh, one of the, like, the weird techniques that I did is the bass is totally delayed and that gives it um, sort of a, like a, when you, a smoother sound when you go into the chorus, it kind of, it flows. I can't, rep I can't reproduce. I've tried to, to reproduce that sound that I created there and I, I don't know. It just happens. So you know, some other tracks on there for Jen, she really heard an homage or, or a, a reminiscence to uh, Nirvana's territorial pissings in uh, the track Hindsight. Yeah. And, uh, go, yeah go that's ahead. probably not really my vocals, mm -hmm. which that was that was basically in that Cobain singing style. I kind of go back and forth between doing different sing styles. That's sort of my default, but oftentimes I don't get into an environment when I can belt it out. But through yeah. your transition, this is something that um, you you spoke to Jen about. Through your transition, you I, I don't think you ever changed your singing voice, right? It's the same. It's the same. Basically, it's basically the same. Um, it's a little bit less lower but mm -hmm. I'm probably the only one who notices that it's more controlled I'm a better singer because I had to kind of train my voice to go from because my natural talking voice does not sound like this at all mm -hmm. so um, and was that any kind of conscious or unconscious choice to um, to go with that to kind of keep you know stick with the singing voice or, or to um, to alter it in any way I just thought it sounded good the way I was already and I didn't want to I didn't want to mess with it. It's, I guess, part of part of that was me having to come to terms. Well, if I want to have sing in a low voice in my music, I'm gonna to have to come out to people because they're gonna say, they're gonna see this tiny blonde girl, you know, belting it out, mm -hmm. <laughs> some like dude at a stadium, you know. But um, I think that's kind of the charm of it. It's kind of one of my selling points. It's um, interesting, I think. You know, I also want to talk about your track, Valerie, which that one was a little bit um, uh, unique because you wrote that during the yeah. recording process. Yeah, and I wrote that how I usually write songs is I, I just, um, I think I just played a beat and then I just free did the whole, I, I wrote it as I recorded it. There was no, I don't sit down and write things out and chart everything. I just basically picked up the guitar it was like, okay, this is a song, and that's the song that you get. 
and that's how I that's how I write and I make it up as I go along. And it's very, you know, it's very yeah. sweet. It's, it's, uh, you know, marry me, and yeah. It's... I, I, I wanted it to be really simple. I wanted yeah. it to be a, a simple message to her. I wanted to give her something, um, you know, a thank you for supporting me. Um, and you did pretty much everything in terms of the the music and the singing on um, on the album, with one exception. I understand. Um, my son screamed into the pickups of one of my guitar at the, uh, guitars at the beginning of the song declaration i had um i had just gotten a japanese guitar which has these single coil pickups that are they're microphonic they're real sensitive i mean i don't know if i can play it live but um you can talk right into the guitar and as i was going to record my guitar track you know he was sitting in the living room i just looked over at him he's playing his video games and i was put the guitar in his face and i was like scream <laughs> you know you can't hear where i said scream because i had edit that out you know but yeah but that's exactly how that happened i just had him scream into the pickup and then i went right into playing the song and it was another one take for me it was like it's important to do these and as little takes as possible one take is usually the best do you have any message for you know other musicians or other people who are struggling with their transition or with their own identities? Um, just that it's a, it's it's okay, and then especially like the music industry and people who listen to music are usually pretty open. Um, it's not one of those things where people have to be as scared. I guess if you were a football player, you might be more scared than if you're a musician. But honestly, if I can do it and if I can, you know, if I can tell 25,000 people, you know, that I'm a trans musician, then anybody can. Because I, at one point, was very scared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What's coming for you for your music? What do you, you know, what, um, you know, you've got this album out now. uh, You know, what's what's next? I want to play. I want to play it live. I haven't been able to find the people. I don't have... um, I don't have practice space, and my amp is broken. Mm. So it's kind of like uh, I could get people who might be interested, but lining up all, all of those things has not been easy for me right now. But I I would love to play. I would play this stuff live in a second. You'll see me smashing guitars and. That's right. You know, well, you've got that. You've got yeah. that video out. Yeah. For, for coincidences. Yeah, and I I do that sometimes. You which know. which features. You and some others smashing guitars and stuff. Yeah, and um, uh, my wife Valerie and our son Killian. Yeah, they were they were there and helping me film, and I just thought you know it'd be more interesting video to have them in it than yeah. just me. And it's it felt like an old like guerrilla style video from like 1990, like some old Sonic Youth video that you would see, just weird and random and lo-fi and you know, well. Julia Clark, thank you so much for for coming in. Your album, Errorist, is on Bandcamp and Amazon and 
Yeah. Right? It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's, it's pretty much everywhere. They can just type in uh, B-side duh into Google, just, just that word, mm-hmm. and it'll come up. Which like, is B-E-E-S-I-G-H-D-U-H. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Thank you.